Oh, man, that kid is the guest speaker over in the kids' ministry today, so that's what your kids will be learning, just kidding. Hey, it's good to see you guys here today. It's good to see and have everybody in Knoxville connecting. Uh, We're in a series called Homework, and we're asking the question, how does your home work? And last Sunday, we started this, and we began uh, talking about the six needs that kids need from their parents. And so we went over three last week, and and, uh, we said that they need a biblical foundation for faith, they need good memories, and they need you as parents to engage And that was one of the ones I felt like just kind of talking with people after the service that really resonated with a lot of people because, you know, we often think that they just need time. And the the issue with time is that we think that we are spending quality time with them when really we're just looking at our phones. We think that we're, you know, with them because we're driving in the car, but we're not really engaging with them uh, because we're listening to the radio or a podcast or whatever. And so What we're saying is we need engagement. We need our mind, our bodies to be in the room, not just our body in the room, but uh, we we need to ask questions. We need to engage in conversation and activity with them. And so we gave you homework last week, and that was to have dinner, make dinner with your family. Hope you did that. If you didn't, uh, that's the homework this week. We've got some other homework for you uh, at the end of the message. But I think it's important because uh, we often think that we have more time to do these things than we really do. Uh, you've probably heard an older parent uh, tell you, your, your kids are going to grow up so fast. You know, you've heard that before. You've, you've heard them say, you better enjoy them while you can. They're going to be gone before you know it. And I think as parents, depending on the season that you're in, your response to those questions might be something like, enjoy them? Really? When, when does that happen? <laughs> or they grow up too fast? Really, I wish they would grow up a little bit faster. Um, They'll be gone before I know it. Wait, uh, can they go now? Um, And so you're going to struggle with that depending on the phase that you're in with your kids. But but the truth is, time really does go by fast. The, The old statement that says, the days seem long, but the years are short is really true. Time really does go by quickly. And so I want to start in Proverbs 22 today to kind of set the tone for what we're talking about. And you know this verse, it says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So this idea of training up your child in the way that he or she should go, how do we train up our child? How how do we do this? What does it look like? And so last week and today, we're talking about ways that this actually happens, what they need from you as a mom, what they need from you as a dad. And, And to do this, we have to engage. And yes, there's not as much time as you actually think. And to kind of illustrate this, uh, well, I brought these three jars in here today. And, and this jar has 936 marbles in it, right? Seems like a lot, right? But 936 represents the amount of weeks that you have from the time your child is born to when he or she graduates from college or graduates from high school, sorry. So you have approximately 936 weeks. That's it. They all fit kind of right here. And, and, and sometimes we, we think we have an eternity and sometimes we think we'll get to it later. But when we begin to look at this, we begin to see, oh, Wow, well, that kind of puts it into perspective. This jar is 468 marbles, and this is a representation of a nine-year-old. So if you have a nine-year-old, you have 468, 
468 weeks until they graduate from high school. Uh, it's a little bit, a little bit smaller there, right? Kind of puts it into perspective. This, if, if your kid is this age, that also means that you have about 312 weeks until they start driving. Just start saving now, <laughs> right? And then finally, if you have a freshman in high school like I do right now, you have 208 weeks until they graduate. 208 weeks. That's four more summer vacations. That's four more basketball seasons. That's four more Thanksgivings, four more Christmases until they graduate. You see, I'm not trying to depress you. <laughs> I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you see that uh, we may not have as much time as what we actually think we do. And when we begin to see what time can begin to visually look like, we, we can see how much time you have left, then you can do more with the time that you have now. You can be more intentional now when you begin to put it into perspective because what you do this week impacts next week and next week impacts the following week and the weeks add up and they, they impact each other. And over time, we have the potential to give our kids the tools that they need in order to help them become the men and the women that God wants them to become. And so often we overestimate what we can do in a day and we underestimate what we can do in 52 weeks, right? We pack out our days and we're going to the grocery and we're doing this and we're doing this and we're doing this and we've packed out our day. But then we look at our, our year and we think, man, we really didn't take advantage of family time in the course of these 52 weeks. And so when we're looking at how do we train up a child and the way that they should go, what does it practically actually look like? Well, we began last week and I wanna continue with number four. Kids need godly role models. Kids need godly role models. Now, you know this. There are two areas that this is important. The first area is that, well, mom and dad, parents are role models. Yes, you are a role model. Uh, you are under surveillance 24-7 um, every single week, every single day. And it's not by China. <laughs> it's by your kids. They've wired you. They are watching everything you do. They are watching your interactions with strangers. They're watching you relate to your spouse. They're watching you, uh, what you eat, what you drink, or what you don't drink or eat. They're, they're watching your belief system in play. They're watching how you treat strangers and how you resolve conflict. They're watching everything that you do. And I think sometimes we think, well, just, I'm gonna, uh, you know, do what I say, not what I do. I wish that were, you know, a reality and a, and, and a truism, but it's not. Really, you can teach what you know, but you're going to reproduce who you are. So that puts a lot of pressure on us as parents. We're going to reproduce who we are. And so uh, when that is the case, when we're struggling with that, when we're thinking about being a role model and we're going to reproduce who we are, then we've got to think in terms of who do we want them to become? And in order for that reality to be something positive and good, then we want them to reflect the love of Jesus. We want them to look like Jesus. And so in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, it says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul is essentially saying, I am imitating Jesus, so therefore you can imitate me. I'm a role model. 
simply because I imitate Jesus. And so imitate Jesus. We won't, that's part of who we are um, as followers of Jesus. Now, some of you would would say, I'm not even sure that I follow Jesus. I don't think or even know that I have faith in Jesus. And I would, I would encourage you today that, that we believe Jesus is the Son of God, that He lived a perfect, sinless life, and that He died on the cross not just as a martyr or just to show us a good example. He died on the cross because He was doing something very specific. He was taking my place and your place. In other words, the, the sin of our sin, your sin was placed upon Him and, and, and God's wrath was falling upon him as someone taking our place. And so he dies on the cross for our sin, that we would have the ability to be forgiven. He dies. Three days later, he rose from the grave, proving that he was God, proving that he has power over sin and over death, giving us the hope that if we put our faith and trust in him, not only will he forgive us of our sin, we'll have a relationship with God and we'll have heaven as our home. You are not born a Christian. You, you either are a child of God or you're an enemy of God. There's a moment in all of our lives that we will either reject Jesus or continue to reject Jesus or you will submit to him and you will receive him as your savior. You will transform from being dead to being alive right, from being, from, from, from um, on your way to hell to now enjoying the hope of heaven. So my question is, have you made that decision? Have you put your faith and trust and hope in Jesus? When you do, you receive the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, He changes you. He changes you slowly, sometimes dramatically and quickly, sometimes over time. But uh, just like when you plant an apple tree and you put it in good soil and there's rain and there's sunshine, eventually that apple tree, if it's healthy, is going to produce apples. It's going to produce fruit. And the same is true in the life of a follower of Jesus. When we truly have the Holy Spirit in our life, over time, we will begin to demonstrate fruit in our life that we really do have a relationship with God, that He really has saved us. It's one of the tests of, of are we really a Christian? Is there fruit in our life? And so when we say, okay, imitate Jesus, what we mean is producing fruit. Is there fruit in your life? Sometimes people think, oh yeah, I wanna get serious about my faith, so I'm gonna go buy some Christian t-shirts. <laughs> I know I got a WWJD bracelet somewhere. I'm gonna wear that thing. Really show off the Lord. We're gonna put a picture of Jesus over the mantle. Man, that'll really set the tone, right? No, we're talking about when we follow Jesus, when we imitate him, there's fruit what is that fruit? Well, the Bible says in Galatians 5.22 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right? This is the evidence that we are imitating Jesus when we are developing love for people and we're experiencing joy and peace and patience. It doesn't mean that all of the circumstances are great and perfect. No, it means no matter what we are going through, the fruits of the Spirit are going to be demonstrated in these ways. And it doesn't mean that we're perfectly doing this, but it does mean we are pursuing this and we are um, experiencing this in our lives. And so that's the question. Like, are you producing fruit? Are your kids seeing the fruits of the Spirit of God in you? Are you imitating Jesus so that they see Jesus in you? Your kids don't need to see a perfect father but they do need to see a dad that loves Jesus and is pursuing his faith.
They don't need to see a perfect mom, but they do need to see a mom who's not going to compromise her beliefs according to the world's standards. But, but she's committed to Jesus. They need to see that. They need to hear that from you. Right? Our kids need to see us serving God. Our, our kids need to see us prioritizing the word of God. They need to see us acting on the words of God. Not perfectly, but they need to see us pursuing it. Right? This is the role model we want to give to them. And time is shorter than you actually think. It does go by fast. And we've got to take advantage of every single week. Think about it like this. If you bring your kids to church every single week this year, that's 52 hours, right? Every week you come, you worship, you learn about God, you learn how to live a godly life and righteousness, and you learn how to share the gospel here. You learn how to worship Jesus here. You, you begin to discover your purpose here. And, and, and one hour a week, that's fantastic, right? 52 hours a year. But the truth is, some of us don't come every single week, and so that's probably a little less. But, but I think about it in terms of like education for a minute. Like if your kids only got one hour a week to learn math, you think by the end of the year, they'd be ready to pass a math test? <laughs> think they'd get a calculus one hour a week? Probably not. You think your kids could learn the history of our country with one hour a week? It's 52 hours in a year? Probably not. Well, what about this? What if your kids only got to practice football one hour a week? Would they be ready for the game on Friday? Ouch, that one hurt, didn't it? The truth is they wouldn't be ready. They wouldn't be ready at all. And the same is true for our spiritual lives. If all we get is one hour a week, your kids are not going to be ready to enter the lion's den on Monday morning in first period. They're not going to be ready to enter the lion's den when they go to college. They're not going to be enter, ready to enter um, the world if all they get is one hour on Sunday morning. We've got to train up our kids in the way that they should go. And that requires you and me, mom and dad, to not only be role models ourselves and model it to them, but we've got to teach them ourselves, right? How, we've got to teach them. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 6. We said it last week. We read it last week. But in these uh, verses, he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, right? So when we're walking, when we're eating, when we're sleeping, when we're traveling, we are talking, we are teaching. We're not just being a role model. We're actually teaching them. And then he says, bind them as a sign on your hand and it sh they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, your forehead. So what is this? Hands, head. Well, the head represents knowledge, the knowledge of God. So we are to teach the knowledge of God to our kids. The hands represents action. So our kids should see us living out our faith in action. So yes, we are called to be a role model, but yes, we are also called to teach them diligently. What are you teaching your kids about Jesus? You cannot just depend upon me and our church to do this and prepare them. You as mom and dad are called to do this as well. So we've got a role model and mom and dad. But here's the second role model. When you are a part of a family ministry like we have here at FC, you get adult leaders as role models. You get to widen the circle of influence in your kid's life. 
You, you have godly men and women who want to pour the gospel into them. And when they have questions about life and about dating and about things that they're probably not going to come to you, dad, to talk to you about, they will come to their adult leader, their small group leader, and have those discussions. And what I love about our church is that there's an army of people that are investing into my kids. I love what Proverbs 13, 20 says. This is helpful for us as parents. It says, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. When you think about the trouble you got into as a kid, it was probably with your you know, knucklehead best friend, wasn't it? Because when you are a companion of fools, you're gonna suffer harm. You're gonna make bad decisions. But when you walk with the wise, you become wise. Our kids aren't gonna find a lot of wise friends in the classroom this week. It's probably not gonna happen, but, but they will. There's a better chance they'll find some other kids that are like-minded in our student ministry here on Wednesday nights in our kids' ministry. And they're gonna find some wisdom in the adult leaders that they are surrounded with throughout the week and they're texting them and Snapchatting them and getting encouragement for them and reminding them to read their Bible and to take notes and you know, reminding them of how to live for God. Like that's widening the circle. That's helping them walk with people who are wise. And if you haven't figured this out, maybe your kids are little and they're not in their teenage years yet, but there's gonna be a time when, when kids just kind of shut down and, and they stop listening to your advice. It will go in one ear and out the other ear. But when a godly role model in their life who they've already developed a relationship with says maybe the very same thing that you are saying, they're going to listen to them even though they wouldn't listen to you. That's why we have to widen the circle. I know for me, if, if my daughter Brooke hears Haley Fletcher say something, it is gospel truth, best thing since sliced bread, right? She comes home, you're never gonna believe what, what Haley said, listen to this. I'm like, I've been saying that since you were three. Like why? What is she, you know, that's just the nature of kids. I can say something to my son, in one ear, out the other. If Ty Green says it, gospel truth, best thing since sliced bread. That's just the nature of teenagers. And so that's why it's important that, that no matter what age they are, you're putting them in environments where those relationships are developing. So do whatever you can to get your students here on Wednesday night, do whatever you can to, to get your kids in our kids ministry. One of the reasons why our kids ministries have the same leaders every week is because of the relational component. Have you noticed that, that when you drop your kid off, it's usually the same person? That's intentional. Some of you were going to serve in kids ministry, but you saw the commitment. You're like, I don't know if I can do it every week. Why do we do it every single week? The relational component. How well, it's the same reason why your kid you know, on Monday morning when they go to class, it's the same teacher every week. They're not changing every week. Why? Because consistency is so important for them. And that's why it's important for us to lead them in that way. Uh, if you've got teenagers, do whatever you can to get them here on Wednesday night. Um, there was a, a, a time when I was, when I was hearing parents talking to uh, community coaches and they were having conversations and they were saying, look, we need to get out by this time so that our kids can go to church, right? We, we've got to get out of here so they can be um, impacted by godly role models in their life. And, and, and I was seeing moms fill up their minivans and getting every kid on the team in the minivan and coming straight from practice and coming over here on a Wednesday night. Why is that important? Because kids need role models in their life. They need healthy role models and they're getting it on TikTok. 
And that is not healthy. I think we can agree. What they need are more of you and I and healthy spiritual leaders in their life investing into them. Our kids need to find a place to belong. And that's what Foothills Church is all about. We, talk, we say this all the time, you belong here. We truly believe that. We truly believe that for your kids. And it's so important for kids because, you know, this has probably happened to you as an adult. You show up to a party or some type of a function and, and uh, you get there and everybody is dressed up and you are like not dressed up. And immediately you feel awkward and immediately you're like, I don't belong here. And immediately, you know, there's just tension in your life because you know, did not dress appropriately. Well, multiply that by a million times for kids because they are, they are worried about that every day. Do I belong? Am I, am I going to belong? It's a nightmare for them when they think that they're not going to fit in or find a place to belong. And not belonging can be devastating to them. There's a, a book by Seth Godin called Tribes. And in the book, he talks about how we're all a part of tribes. And, and a tribe is just simply a group of people who are actually committed to one another, committed to a leader, and they're committed to an idea. And that forms a tribe. And, and every kid is gonna find their tribe at school, uh, in, in the community somewhere. They're, they're looking for that place to belong. And if they don't find that place to belong and they experience isolation for a long period of time, then it's gonna impact them greatly. And so, so when, you, when you're a part of a family ministry like we have at FC and we say, hey, you belong here, kids are able to find their tribe. They're able to find their people and they're able to find a leader that actually is pouring into them. And it's so incredibly important by partnering with FC. We wanna teach you as moms and dads uh, what it looks like to invest in them, but we also wanna teach uh, adult leaders, how to shepherd young kids and, and teenagers so that they can become who God wants them to be and so that you can become a better parent. And when you're doing your part and the church is doing their part, the child has the potential to be trained up in the way that he or she should go. That doesn't mean they always will. Doesn't mean that you're a failure if they don't. What it means is if you have kids that love Jesus and are doing well, you should thank God and praise God for it. And if your kids are not at this point, you don't need to feel ashamed and you don't need to be bummed out and say, what did I do wrong? You need to pray that God would save them and change them because it is not on you to make them good kids. It is not on you to make them righteous. You can't make them righteous. We influence, we influence, but ultimately it's their choice, right? And so we pray for the grace of God in their life so that they would find Jesus and live for Jesus. We do our part. The church does its part and we pray. On September 10th, coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, we're gonna have a, what we're calling a gospel class. And this is for parents of elementary age kids. How do you lead your kid to Jesus? How do you share the gospel with them? We're gonna equip you, get you ready. It's gonna be on a Sunday morning. I hope that uh, class is packed out. We're praying that more young people accept Christ and, and uh, follow Jesus this year more than ever before. And it's gonna take all of us being intentional about sharing the truth with them. And, and that's gonna be exciting on September 13th. That's a Wednesday night. We're gonna gather all the parents of teenagers and we're gonna cry and moan and wail together about how hard, I'm just kidding. We're gonna to get together and encourage each other in that season as well. And so mark those dates down, sign up for those. This is us as a church coming around you to help equip you and help each other equip each other. So role models, 
Number five, what kids need from parents. Kids need discipline, right? Kids need discipline. We know this. They need appropriate discipline in their life. And so when we think about discipline, it simply comes down to this. Discipline is guidance. They need boundaries. They need guidance. And every kid is different. If you have multiple kids, you know this. Same, same mom, same dad, same home, same church, same everything. Totally different kids. Totally different kids. I think that's God's sense of humor for us and just part of it. But you got some kids that, that come out with a rose in their mouth and smile on their face. Dad, whatever you need me to do, I love you, Dad. Another kid comes out with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, <laughs> flipping the bird. Go ahead and discipline me. I'll eat your discipline for lunch, man. <laughs> They're just different. So you have to discipline them different. They, they require a different level of, of intentionality. And so, yes, that makes it really, really difficult. I love what Hebrews 12 teaches us about discipline. We don't want to miss this because God disciplines us, his children. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one that he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. See, discipline is about love. Sometimes when we think about discipline, we're thinking cracking the whip and yelling and red faces and scaring people and punishment. It's like, well, wait a minute. Discipline comes out of a heart of love, comes out of a heart of compassion. Why? Because discipline is guidance. And so when you think about disciplining your kids, you need to be thinking in terms of guiding them, not yelling at them. So when I guide them, that means I'm teaching them. I'm teaching them and training them in the way that they should go. So that requires an explanation right? That requires an explanation. It requires a conversation. And yes, it requires consequences. We're not going to, we're not just going to say this is wrong. There's going to be a level of consequences, but it's going to come out of a heart of guidance. It's going to come out of a posture of explanation. We're going to need to do this uh, calmly, and we're going to need to do this consistently. And when any of that is out of whack, then we could be hurting more than helping. Parenting is hard. That's why we got to go back to the fruits of the Spirit. God, I can't do this. I cannot not get mad. I cannot not get angry when this happens again. I need love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness. I need gentleness, goodness. God, I need that in me, right? That's the hard part. Teaching, explanation, conversation. Yes, con uh, consequences, but also we do this in a calm way and a consistent way. If you're a teenager, you might be grounded right now. I don't know. <laughs> and you're probably pretty ticked off. Somewhere, let's let the Holy Spirit plant a seed in your heart. If, you're, if your parents discipline you, it means that they love you. Right? It means that they love you. Right? Love and discipline just go hand in hand, though. The parent who disciplines loves his child. The parent who spoils their child and doesn't discipline them hates their child. At least that's what the Bible says. Proverbs 13 says, whoever spares the rod hates their children. Hates. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. I like this word careful because some people would use this rod passage 
as this means to um, beat their kids or to be harsh with their kids or to always lash out and spank their kids. And it's like, no, 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 let's, let's, not, let's not misinterpret the scripture here. That does not give you license to be bitter and hard and, and spank your kids on a regular basis. No, he says, be careful to discipline them. In Psalm 23, David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why? Because the shepherd used the rod to, to, to kind of get the sheep out and, and, and away from the lion's den, right? And so this, this idea of the rod is something that, yeah, I think you should spank your kids, but it's really the last resort and it's really only effective during a certain time frame and it should never be with your hands and it should never be out of anger. I mean, there's a, there's a time for that, but, but it should be few and far between and, and definitely not as the kids get older, but yes, should it be done? I, I, I think so. But at the same time, he says, be careful in this. Be careful. Hebrew, uh, Ephesians chapter six says it like this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So don't provoke your kids to anger, right? How do we provoke our kids to anger? Well, we provoke our kids to anger when we discipline in anger. So if you're, if you're yelling your face is red. You might be bullying them physically in a way, like you're posturing yourself. That's provoking your children to anger. I think if you're showing favoritism to some kids and, you know, that's kind of an obvious thing, that can provoke your kids to anger. I'm sure that's really difficult in a blended family and you've got two families coming together. We want to be careful not to provoke our kids to anger. Unexplained discipline or over-disciplining. It's too hard and we don't really give an explanation. You know, we've said it a million times and not saying it again. So boom, go to your room, you're grounded forever. <laughs> Let me have the phone again. Let me do this again. And it's like, well, is that even working? And, and are there other techniques? Probably. But we want to make sure that we're not provoking our kids to anger. If you never admit that you're wrong, that could be evidence or that could be a way that we provoke our kids to anger. Again, we don't have to be perfect parents, but when we do mess up, the next step would be, hey, I'm sorry, I yelled. I got really angry, I blew it. I know there are some pages in the, in the book of my parenting life that I could wish I could go back and erase. And there are moments that, that I can still envision my kid's face when I was too harsh or I was too over the top. And I knew I walked away from that and I knew I blew it. And I would go to my wife and I would say, honey, I blew it. And expecting compassion. And she would say, yep, you blew it. I'll go fix it. No, she wouldn't. She was always kind. But, but in that, we, we parent as a team and we try to help each other in that. And that, that, that requires a level of submission to one another and a level of, of understanding in one another. And so if we are losing our control in parenting out of anger, we're just giving our kids license to live their life out of control. If you lose your control, ultimately they're going to lose their control. And so it's important that we dial this in. Uh, it's important that we bring back the anger. It's important that we, no matter what's happened, we take a minute to calm down and to pray and to get our bearing before we come in and have a conversation and set the tone for the meeting and the, and the discussion that needs to happen. Again, very difficult, but kids need discipline. And then finally, Kids need encouragement. Kids need encouragement. Your words, 
are life-giving or they can break their spirit. It's not just words that you say, but it's also words that you don't say that are important. We've got to use words that encourage them because the words that you use shape them. It shapes their identity. It shapes how they perceive the world. It shapes how they view God. It shapes what they uh, think about themselves. And so the words that we're using are teaching our kids to process information and express their emotions. And when you get emotional and you're spouting off hurtful words, we're just basically teaching them, hey, when, when you get upset and angry, you get to spout off and say words too. Again, hard, difficult things that we're talking about here, but we need to dial it in. The words we use will help them feel loved, feel significant, feel important, or vice versa. It'll make them feel like they're alone, abandoned, and don't matter. And so we've got to bring words that encourage them. I love um, what Proverbs 12 teaches us about this, and this is so true in my life. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You've had someone criticize you. You've had someone say something about you or or maybe you heard it through the grapevine that someone said something about you and it was like a, a sword thrust into your heart. That's why we say, hey, he's stabbing me in the back. Why? Same truth here. Hurtful words hurt, right? And the opposite is true. You can also encourage and, and, and your words can bring healing into your life. You know, when I look back or I think back to my childhood, what is more easily for me to recollect are the critical words that I heard during the course of my life. The encouraging words are, are, are usually harder for me to remember. Why is that? Well, our mind typically goes to this mentality, right, of the negative. That's how powerful words are in our life. Words either build up or they can destroy. So how can we become more encouraging, right? A couple of things here. First of all, we look at 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage one another and build each other up. I told you at the beginning of this series, this is just good relational truth for any relationship. We're just applying it through uh, the lens of parenting, but encouraging our kids every single day. This is huge because what do our kids usually hear from us? You didn't do this. You didn't do that. Why aren't you doing this? Why? because the negative things are usually what draws our attention. The negative things are what cause us to step in. Stop fighting, stop yelling, you know? It's like, it's like our, our, our attention is gravitating towards the negative. So here's one practical thing I wanna encourage you with. See a positive and say a positive. See a positive, say a positive. Look for the positive things your kids are doing. Look for the positive um, decisions they're making. And when you look for the positive, you'll be more intentional about seeing them. And when you see them, identify them and say, great job. I see you doing that. Your kids are little. Hey, great job picking up your toys all by yourself. That's so big of you. That's incredible. Great job. Your kids are a little bit older. Hey, I see you're, you're, you're handling business in the classroom. You're doing your homework. It's awesome. Way to go. Instead of, it's not, it's not good enough, it's good job. Hey, you threw away your trash and you didn't let it sit on your nightstand for eight to 12 weeks. Great job, 
right? We see a positive and we say a positive. I can tell you this, you know, for me growing up, my mom did an incredible job with this. This is one of her gifts. And so consistently in my life, no matter how I played or what I was doing in the classroom, great job, Trent, you played so well. I could have had the worst game in the history of my career, but she would have found the one good thing I did. And she would say, you did really good when you did that. She would compliment me all the time. Trent, you look good. Your arms are getting bigger. That was such a good sermon. It was amazing. I'm telling you, it was constant. And you know what happens when a kid hears that from a parent? He starts believing it. Words are powerful, powerful. They set the tone and a vision for your life like never before. So when they're not there, equally as destructive. When they're not good, destructive. When, when, there are, when they're there, whew, it changes your kid's life. It changes your grandchildren's lives. And again, we don't have a lot of time to mess around with this. I don't want this illustration to make you feel guilty today. I want it to get you in gear. No matter if you've had a newborn and you have, you know, 936 weeks or you've got a freshman in high school and you've got about 208 weeks left, you can begin now investing the words, the encouragement that they need, giving them the discipline that they need, right? And when we do that, we start to, to recognize that this week matters. And when I do it this week, uh, it kind of builds off of last week. And then if I do it again another week, it encourages us to go another week. And week after week, it impacts. And over time, the potential for our kids to have all of these tools that they need in order to do what God is telling them to do. And that's what we're after. That's what we're after, that they would serve God, live for God, right? We overestimate what we can do in a day. We underestimate what we can do in a year. And so I wanna encourage you today, no matter where you're at, no matter how you've gotten it wrong, let's focus on getting it right today. Last week, the homework was to make a meal together. This week, the homework is to play a game together. If you want more resources about parenting and how to grow in this, visit our website. Lots of great resources there to help you. Classes coming up in the future. Parenting is not easy, but you can do this. And God is gonna equip you. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. When, when we are weak, He is strong, amen? And so no matter where we're at, grandparents, you know, little kids, you know, teenage kids, grown adult kids, we can continue to lead our kids and influence our kids to love Jesus more. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, parenting is, is difficult in so many ways and it's also a beautiful gift. And so God, I pray that as we think about the needs that our kids have, Lord, that you would help us to be the role models that we need to be. God, that you would help us to give the discipline that they need and the encouragement that they need. God, I pray that we would not focus on where we have gotten it wrong and just, just kind of live in shame or guilt today, but that we would walk out of here knowing that we are more than conquerors, that you have changed us and you have given us this word today to inspire us to be better parents.
And so God, help this week and the next week to be better than last week. And God, for those kids and those those teenagers maybe that are far from you, God, we pray for your grace and mercy upon them. Every parent in the room, lift up those kids and their names to, to the Lord. Let's pray for them today. God, save them. God, for those kids that are living a life of righteousness, we thank you for that. It is all because of you. It is for your glory and your grace, God. It's not anything that we have done. And so God, give us grace. Give us Give us the fruits of the Spirit in our life, Lord. We need it. We need you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like this video and leave a comment. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss an upload from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, you can go to our website, foothillschurch.com, or by clicking the link in the description below.